thanks, thanks, uh, Sven. Thanks, Bina, uh, for inviting me and uh, everyone else who helped make this happen, and the other speakers, of course, and for all of you for deciding to spend your day here. Um, I'm, um, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm gonna follow up on this question of affinity. Unfortunately, in fact, I think probably my my remarks will be closer to. Um, the extract from Stavros mm -hmm. then to that point. Um, so um, yeah, like um, like always, I'm gonna do more reading than speaking. Sorry about that. Uh, so in in this set of brief remarks today, uh, and please tell me when I'm running out of time, I will revisit and extend some of the ideas from the text that was mentioned from uh, the communist aesthetics theme on open. Uh, perhaps in a couple of different directions. So first, I'll revisit the question of temporality that comes up in that text, uh, then say a bit about institutions, and then address the commons from a philosophical and political-economic viewpoint. Uh, that is to say, where discourses of the commons and practices of commoning sit in the current conjuncture, which is, of course, a disjunctive one. All these questions, I think, are related, so while it would be misleading to say that they present us with different vantages on the same problem, they do have significant internal relations which are uh, entangled, that is, mutually determining, and in this terminology, um, which Bina already referred to, I'm taking my cue from the post-Hegelian work of philosopher Karen de Boer and the agential realist philosophy of Karen Barad. So first, temporality. The notion of an activity focused on the here and now, as opposed to a more strategic or long-term agenda steered by a set of ideological commitments, is of course only a heuristic and an impoverished one at that, as abstract as the binary reform versus revolution. What the question of temporality, however, does bring into focus is the implicit but unarticulated set of commitments in the eclipse of ends by means, that some would argue characterized the profound difference of commons with relation to other left progressive or emancipatory discourses and histories, but one which of course cannot be confined to commons as if the eclipse of ends by means was not already a judgment on a certain type of formalist tendency, which depending on your political standpoint has been uh, denounced as the idealist downfall of everything from Occupy Wall Street to the Russian Revolution. Thus, I'm more interested in the idea that one, of, that one can be eliminated by the other, um, or what's behind those kinds of claims that one is sufficient, perhaps, than I am in polemically advocating for either of them. Because taken separately, they're both forms of magical thinking, which are mainly used to stake out highly moralistic positions in a conventional terrain of academic or institutional debate, the one and the other being here and now versus long-term horizon. As already observed in the common conflict questions uh, that some of you will have seen, the critical analysis of what exists is often accompanied by a vague gesture to a radical rupture, uh, and that's one form of magical thinking. Another form is opting for the here and now or what works, especially as it tends to advance under a banner of effectiveness and concreteness, exhibiting that reproach to abstraction that writers like Peter Osborne have described as a refusal to reckon with the concrete experience of abstraction 
and separation in contemporary capitalist life, precisely as a result of capitalist value relations that structure that life, but in a fetishized, naturalized forms. So in the, t in the text, I refer to a horizon of unknowability that is also referenced to this kind of abstraction. With the point about abstraction, we can also introduce the question of scale, how and why consideration of what scale projects operate at relates to the politics of commoning, and whether commoning practices are rather a kind of model than a politics per se, both as exemplary and as scale model, enacting new kinds of social and property relations, which brings me to the second question, the question of the institution. So while the question of institution is always and foremost also a question of scale, the question about commoning needs to be asked differently at the level of institutional parts and wholes, and the prospect of resource independence and self-governing collectivity looks very different at the University of Amsterdam or the Stedelijk than it does at Casco. The idea of modeling as a form of prefiguration implementing organizational and productive techniques that realize desires for social change in the present as far as it is possible, and this as far as is nothing if not a question of scale and time, means being aware of how scale relates to capacity, to power, and to entanglement with long-term tendencies in social and economic life, which complicate, even as they promote, ideas of self-organization with reduced resources, but which programmatically foreclosed the necessity of redistribution and expropriation in order for those experiments to scale up, so to speak. But more on this later. For the question of institution, I'll just mention that commoning practices and art institutions represent for me an instance of infrastructural critique, as I've recently been developing this concept, which is to say an institutional critique that directly experiments with the institution's conditions of possibility, both internally and its relationship to its immediate and more general social landscape. Rather than supporting this critique in the representational sense of exhibition and programming, though inevitably this more imminent critique of the institution traverses and sometimes finds itself stuck at the representational level as well, which is not at all dispensable, of course. The desire for the institution, the desire to maintain and correct it, to make it more responsive, more dialogic, should focus our inquiry insofar as this is desire that builds power as well as undermines it in the positive and negative sense on both sides of that equation. Perhaps this is where the notion of the undercommons as a desire to radically expand the possibilities of sociality and rebellious capacity as antagonism and not as correction, to not exactly self-institute but also not ignore the institution can come into our discussion, though it's already been mentioned. This antagonism of the undercommons, while focused on the appropriation and repurposing of resources, very much like many formulations of the commons, has one crucial difference, and that is its hostility to management and governance as engines of autocorrection of the institution and its constituents. As Robin D.J. Kelly has recently written on Harney and Moten's book on the undercommons, quote, the undercommons is a fugitive network where a commitment to abolition and collectivity prevails over a university culture bent on creating socially isolated individuals whose academic skepticism and claims of objectivity leave the world as it is intact, end quote. This form of practical negativity to the world as it is is to me probably the most promising aspect of the prefigurative challenge to the inflated and complacent production of critique as an ongoing legitimation for world as it is 
and forms the root of my commitment to thinking about commons as a politics of potentiality, but specifically as a politics, which means for me approaching it from the perspective of the undercommons as expropriation, as insurgency. This is also why I'm particularly interested in the commons as a space for legal activism, as I noted in my text in the discussion of the Italian Bene Comune movement and its campaigns to modify existing laws and introduce new ones regarding both common goods, as in the referendum against water privatization, and collective constitution as it connects to property law, as in the failed campaign to incorporate the Teatro Valle occupation as a new kind of foundation, a foundation of the common. Because commons is foremost a question of resources and property, a question of who is party to contracts and who draws them up, it is through shifting the operativity or shifting into non-operativity of legal systems that sustain structural violence, shifting the operativity of the law, again at different scales, that the contractual form of social relationships can be expanded and distorted in a more emancipatory direction, and where the micro-political disposition of commons can function as a strength in the processes of struggle. If commoning as an approach to infrastructural critique destabilizing command and control relations through daily routines, decision-making, discursive positioning of the institution in the community at, at different scales, is one side of experimentation with the art institution as a vehicle of critique, albeit with the crucial element of authorship and accountability in many cases remaining to be commonized as a core engine of value accumulation in arts reputation economies which is why it's interesting that it's not always clear who has produced what in the exhibition upstairs, which is a brilliant step in that direction. Until this too is expropriated, commonizing practices must remain limited. Authorship is perhaps the central and the closest form of property that commoning practices in the space of the art institution have to interrogate. The other side is aesthetics, or perhaps otherwise or better poetics, which commoning practices in the space of the art institution can embody and actualize, also beyond their immediate site of instantiation in discrete projects or events. <clears throat> the aesthetic is a mode of experience that's utterly speculative, that is, where social contradictions are both articulated and made unrecognizable and estranged. Art is both autonomous and social fact means that art provides both the material and sensory encounter with another dimension of reality and an encounter with the productive, potentiating aspects of abstraction, of removal from that which seems solidly established and unalterable. The aesthetic can mobilize, volatilize alienation both as alienation, that is, removal from the everyday as a conflict with the everyday, that can become the basis for another collective form of life, and against alienation, as the habitual semi-removal from what's going on around us that our daily circuit of consumption and production also is enforced with digital social mediations, which is not to say that there is anything inherently capitalist about those forms per se, rather than how they're organized, how they structure our lives, and how they extract value. With this, we broach the dimension of mediation, which is a problematic term, not just for commons discourse, but for many contemporary forms of communist and insurrectionist theory, all of which privilege an overcoming of separation, the cultivation of immediate and direct relations over the proliferation of mediations and abstractions that a challenge and possible surpassing of the single metric of value that currently governs our existence might generate and which the aesthetic can help us imagine. 
The market is an infinite play of singularities, but they take the form of commodities. And exiting market relations can only ever be a transient or model, modeling activity, which doesn't diminish its significance at all, but which veers between the production of singularities and the commodification of them, between challenging exploitation and intensifying it by means of withdrawal or imagined withdrawal. Thus, a good addendum to the summary of the undercommons offered by Kelly above is provided by Black Lives Matter student activist Barbara Ransby, who writes that, quote, the undercommons is both an appealing and necessary site for insurgent collaboration, but we cannot overly romanticize it. It is not the only place we must do our work. While we labor to create alternative and ulterior spaces for critical collective thought and planning, we have to simultaneously fight for a greater margin of justice in the public square of the academy. In the long run, this requires building a liberation movement that extends beyond the borders of the university. And finally, I'd like to say something on the distinction between the social and the political, and how this touches on debates conducted in the key of the commons. The distinction is quite a fraught and problematic one, especially if we keep in mind that the social is where the political is embedded and reproduced, and any separations between the political as the properly universal sphere of human agency, as the ontopolitical, contrasted with the, what are deemed the relatively less important or more insular spheres of the social or the economic, always betrays a reactionary element to, to progressive theory in this context, whether it's Hannah Arendt or Alain Badiou. However, where the distinction might be useful is precisely again in bringing us back to temporality. The political can be said to evoke or to point to what is missing, either the recognition of the injustice and violence in the everyday, so the personal is the political, or other ways of organizing society which are not yet actual, whether this is taken as a universalizing or a particular horizon of change. The social, on the other hand, addresses itself to the existing and to redistributing power and visibility within a field whose boundaries seem to make sense to the participants if there are disagreements about how it's organized. The political, in the best case, can only be actualized in a transformed temporality. The thought of the political introduces alterity into the time that we know. The social is staked on rearranging the relations and institutions in the time we all presumptively share, even if this is a time of desperate inequality and escalating crisis. My argument has always been, again, that thinking about temporality means that neither the political or the social can be understood in isolation from one another or valued over one another. Though each tends to turn into an exclusivizing discourse, offering a liberation from the need to engage with both of these forms of time in any counterproposition to the existing set of conditions. But temporality is not simply a regulative idea. It also describes the intrinsically divided time of commoning in a capitalist context. As David Harvey writes, quote, the common is not therefore something that existed once upon a time and that has since been lost, but something that is like the urban commons continuously being produced. The problem is that it is just as continuously being enclosed and appropriated by capital in its commodified and monetized form, even as it is being continuously produced by collective labor, End quote. So this further leads us to the need to situate history within our reflections on the commoning and the commons and the, so to speak, objective relations between the ongoing global social and economic crisis and the place of commoning practices therein. We can consider that more and more of the population worldwide is finding itself surplus to capital's valorization requirements. 
with these requirements to be analyzed from a given level of technological composition and geopolitical agency, which includes the position in the world market of any particular capitalist formation, as well as state and transnational frameworks for the operation and advancement of capitalist markets. So in Marxist sense, surplus population just refers to this uh, at any given time, the part of the population which is not employed by capital is not directly gaining its uh, living on the market. So if surplus population in Marxist sense refers to, to this very sort of specific um, configuration, uh, it doesn't refer to a revolutionary subject uh, who becomes revolutionary through their exclusion. So subjects that have been proposed are house workers, informal workers, the unemployed, the peasant, the slum dweller. As EndNotes have recently written, quote, what renders many workers surplus to the requirements of capital is a dual tendency. On the one hand, towards overaccumulation, which reduces profit rates and hence slows the expansion of output, and on the other hand, towards the ongoing growth of labor productivity, which arises out of capitalist competition and results in a loss of jobs in those economic sectors where output does not increase at a rate equal to productivity. The combination of these factors ensures that in an economy racked by overaccumulation, the demand for labor will fail to keep up with its supply. That in turn will expand the surplus population." End quote. If this is the long-term tendency we've been observing for the past three or four decades, intensified in many ways since the 2007-2008 financial crash, then de facto, these populations are gonna have to find ways of subsisting outside an immediate relation to the market. Thus, Commons makes its appearance among several policy alternatives for activating, something got louder, for activating, so to speak, communities to manage this artificial austerity without asking too many questions about how the allocation of state resources actually works in the currently restricted technocratic horizon of governance, which consists in driving down the price and conditions of labor, including their sources of support outside the workplace, which means privatization and tendential destruction of many different kinds of commons, in order to restart various accumulation bubbles, primarily financial and property-driven. Often, of course, different types of commoning gets underway without state encouragement and support, but they are only allowed to persist so long as they don't pose a threat to the state. Obviously, this compensatory and diminished role for the commons and commoning practices is not exactly how the research program here wants to explore the matrix of commons, but this is the, again, so to speak, objective situation within which it unfolds. And that's something I think we can all acknowledge, whether we're coming from a Dutch or a Greek context, given, of course, the drastically different levels of intensity in the ways the crisis has been sustained in those two places. That's it. Are there, are there any immediate uh, follow-up questions, questions of, of clarification, if you want sort of a particular, if you want to address a particular point or want Marina to say a few more words on this or that aspect of her talk, then you can do that now. Anyone have any um, immediate follow-up question? Yeah? Sorry, we have to have the questions through the microphone. Yeah, how are we going to do that? Uh, here. Okay. 
this uh, concept of undercommons is uh, new to me, and I'm trying to relate it to practical initiatives or things I can see in society. Can you give some examples of how you would mm -hmm. distinguish normal commons from undercommons? Thank you. So it's kind of rather rather than kind of um, trying to maybe reform general conditions in the university or part of the university, it's kind of more sort of like seeing the university as a site of resources which can be like appropriated and used elsewhere in more kind of self-governing and kind of underground forms of self-education or radical self-education or activism. Um, so the way the distinction, I think I've seen it being made by Harney and Moten perhaps or others is that it sees itself more as a kind of project of like expropriating and withdrawing rather than trying to kind of, um, I guess, drive for um, kind of to, to reform the way the university operates in a kind of more sharing and caring direction, perhaps. But uh, that's maybe just one way of looking at it. I mean, perhaps if I could also add to that or, you know, sort of um, ask you sort of a, um, a question on the basis of that. There seems to be an intriguing relation, indeed, between Harney and Moten's conception of the undercommons in the sort of framework in the institutional framework of the university, which in a sense in their account is sort of basically beyond uh, critique and beyond reform, right? So indeed appropriate and, and form and undercommons maroon communities uh, within the institution um, or underneath the institution. There seems to be an intriguing relation between that and what you were saying about infrastructural critique, um, which is, you know, as I sort of interpret you, infrastructural critique um, very much primarily in, um, in the artistic framework, you know, in, as a development of institutional critique. So I'm thinking, for instance, of uh, what Annette Krauss and the Casco team have done with their unlearning exercises, which is being uh, documented upstairs in the exhibition, or which is being presented upstairs in the exhibition. So um, a, a kind of direct um, aesthetico-political engagement with, in this case, quite a small institution, that uh, is willing also to to host and to uh, let's say undergo this kind of infrastructural critique, uh, whereas on the on the other hand, indeed, we have those you know, academic behemoths that are then subject to undercommoning. So, are those let's say two complementary strategies also dependent on the nature of the context? Um, how would you see that? Yeah, I think so. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for this brief answer. Okay, very good. Okay, long question, short answer. Um, yeah, is there anything else that needs to be addressed now? Of course, there will be room for uh, sort of more general questions later on. Um, if, yeah. Maybe just as a bridge to move to Stavros, like if Marina, like if you could give a little summary on uh, what your proposal is in terms of like artistic practice that we know because I mean I'm not sure whether I got it right because whether you connect like infrastructure critique actually into like artworks and artistic practice or kind of 
new new form of artwork or new form of art? Um, I guess I was not so much thinking of artistic practices here, maybe in other texts I've written, but more kind of institutional practices or like small in smaller institutionals for smaller institutions, as Sven was just pointing out. Um, but I guess it, insofar as these are practices of kind of self-deconstruction or self-displacement undertaken by institutions, to some extent, they do also blur... In, in a lot of ways, practically and conceptually and politically, they can blur the line between artistic projects and what institutions are doing, I guess. And as Marina was saying, there's definitely that kind of blurring going on upstairs in the We Are the Time Machines exhibition, where indeed it's not always clear who did what and in, in which capacity, whether it's an artist's work or a curatorial uh, intervention or some kind of collaboration. So indeed this kind of deconstruction of the traditional division of labor, which is also very much something that Andrea Phillips advocates in the context of her um, notion of uh, devaluation. Yeah, another? Um, I was, I guess it was a bit of a follow-up on the last, or the question in between. Um, I was thinking during your talk about, it felt like there was a point not too long ago where it was really popular to talk about parasitic practices or parasiting the institution. And I'm just wondering, do you see the undercommons and this infrastructural critique as a shift in terminology, or is this actually structurally or practically different than parasiting? I mean, I'm not sure how authoritatively I can speak to that just because I haven't read much recently about the kind of um, arguments of, of parasiting, but if I can think about the practices that sort of identified with that. Um, I suppose, I guess maybe more lines of affinity can be drawn between those different, those registers um, in the sense that not, none of them are kind of interested in building counter institutions, but kind of like seeing how existing institutions can be repurposed. But what parasiting sort of tends to mean like you live off your host I guess, so in a way you have to contribute to the strength and liveliness of your host <coughs> as well, uh, which in a way is kind of the classic position of institutional critique. Um, and why I think I also associate the kind of like parasiting discourse with the era of like institutional critique of the early 90s or so, mid to early 90s. Um, I guess... Um, yeah, I guess I guess it's quite specific in a way, um, the parasite thing. Again, I don't know that much about it uh, theoretically. Um, but in terms of, I guess, un under commons in a way, kind of wants to make the kind of the institution irrelevant, or kind of just like take take it sort of like the resources and spaces that it affords, but not to kind of add to its legitimacy. Uh, even in the process of drawing those resources, which would maybe or maybe not be a bit different from parasiting. And infrastructural critique, I mean, it's a concept I'm still very much developing, but it also, also kind of seems even like broader as a methodology or as a kind of thinking than either of those, probably because I haven't sort of like specified it enough yet. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Um, 
Yeah, a couple of um, important points. I mean, more than a couple of important points to take away, but certainly also your questioning of, of what can be quite a sort of undialectical, ossified uh, dichotomy or opposition between here and now politics on the one hand and, you know, uh, dreams of revolutionary rupture on the other hand. Also this, um, 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 the dialectic of the social and the political, so that the social being focused very much on the, the here and now. And uh, again, this here and now politics, including here and now aesthetic politics and art and the political uh, basically aiming at uh, what is missing. Um, and, um, you know, both perspectives being, being necessary. Uh, it's not a matter of, of uh, privileging one over the other. That may be a problem precisely with many contemporary uh, notions and practices that are labeled uh, social art or social art uh, practice. Um, and, um, yeah, we can uh, sort of hopefully continue to develop some of those uh, strands uh, later on after Stavros's talk and even um, in the second panel, perhaps. But for now, I think it's uh, time that we see how uh, uh, Stavros's uh, contribution uh, meshes or clashes with uh, yours. So, Stavros, <laughs> please take it away.